Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou ao horuhuri, e hōtaka e planaki tō tātou ao whanui. You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National, and now, to CRISPR or not to CRISPR. This week was International Mendel Day, marking 150 years since the monk and botanist presented his famous lecture on pea hybrids and the rules of heredity. And so we'll be exploring modern genetics over the coming weeks, starting with the latest gene editing tool. CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. But that's just a long mouthful for a new and hotly debated technique to edit DNA. It allows scientists to change, delete and replace genes with an unprecedented level of precision and reliability. And already CRISPR has been used in mice to correct the genetic errors responsible for sickle cell anemia, muscular dystrophy and the fundamental defect associated with cystic fibrosis. Veronica asks Peter Dearden and Neil Gemmell, both geneticists at the University of Otago, how CRISPR works and whether it's time to reignite the debate about gene editing in New Zealand. CRISPR is a description of a whole load of systems that have been discovered in bacteria. And these are systems which are sort of, seem to be designed so that the bacteria can stop other bits of DNA coming into them, so viral bits of DNA which come into a a bacteria. So in our body we have an adaptive immune system where we recognise a foreign protein and we make antibodies to it. CRISPR is a bit like that. What happens is that it recognises a foreign piece of DNA and it takes that bit of DNA and it copies it into its genome in a particular place. And that little bit of DNA that's copied in can then be used to make RNA which is the the sort of single strand version of DNA and that RNA molecule can guide another protein called Cas9 to a sequence which is the same. So if that bacteria sees that same invading piece of DNA, that guide RNA brings this protein to that invading piece of DNA and the invading uh, piece of DNA is cut by the protein and it cuts at a very specific site. So it's a pretty sophisticated type of immune system, really. It, it really is. And we think that bacteria actually take up these um, little bits of DNA and as a kind of memory bank in the way that we have uh, memory T cells which contain information about antibodies to attack pathogens. So it's, it is a very sophisticated system. But the key thing is being able to, using a piece of RNA, drive this protein to a particular DNA sequence. And that's why this is a, such a remarkable technology. Because now if we take these two components, the piece of RNA and the protein, and use them in a biotechnological sense, we can take any piece of RNA that we make and use that to take this Cas9 protein to a a DNA sequence we like and cut there. And that is the entire basis of the technology. That's a very difficult thing to do, but this technology has allowed us to really be able to cut any DNA sequence that we like. So that's the bit that gives us the precision, really. Absolutely. So those guide RNAs enable us to dial up a specific piece of sequence. You can put in the sequence you like, and then we can manipulate the genome so that you have exactly that sequence inserted at a particular point. And the way Zhang would describe this, he's one of the principals who's argued to be the inventor of this. The way he describes it is it's like editing a Word document. So previously when we've done genetic engineering, we could remove whole words or paragraphs of words and now he talks about us actually editing down to a single letter type of resolution. It's like a find and replace in a, in a Word document. Yeah, the, the key thing is that organisms don't like their DNA being cut 
So in the case of something like a virus, if you slice its genome in half, the virus is dead. In, in organisms like ourselves, the vast majority of organisms, we often go into a kind of panic mode when a piece of DNA is cut. Because we've got this, this piece of DNA which is part of our chromosome. It has to be stuck together. And in cutting it, we trigger a whole load of responses which change bits of DNA. So we try, we have a whole bunch of systems called repair systems which will try and join those two ends of DNA back together again. And in joining those two ends of, of DNA back together again, we often make small deletions or small insertions, or if you provide a piece of DNA that looks a bit like the DNA that might have been missing, mm. then it will copy that piece of DNA into that point where you cut it. So our own repair systems, if we manipulate them properly, can allow us to take out a single base pair in a DNA sequence, to add a base pair in a DNA sequence, or add a whole gene in a DNA sequence, or if we're clever enough, just completely delete a chromosome, allowing, um, causing death of a cell or an organism. So we have to take this system, which just all it does is it cuts DNA. That's all the, the CRISPR system does. But because organisms respond so um, strongly to cut DNA, we can do all kinds of other cool things with it. Well, let's talk about those cool things because it's been touted as a very you know, hot, new tool, revolutionary in the sense that what it allows us to do, it's already been used elsewhere. Can you talk me through what the kind of things are that have already been done? There's lots of different uh, approaches where we would use gene editing to fix things or modify things. So I guess probably let's start with some of the more controversial things first. So already people are starting to talk about the idea of editing gene sequences in particular ways to achieve desirable uh, outcomes, um, for example, in humans. So this would be could be a, a gene editing tool to to eliminate specific point mutations that are associated with um, lethal or, or highly deleterious diseases. And there are lots and lots of those that we could think of, but things like um, cystic fibrosis may be one, or there are many others that are even more severe than that. So that's, that's at one extreme. And then at other practical areas, in agriculture or in horticulture, we could be looking at um, manipulations to uh, modify uh, traits in agriculturally important species so that they produce more offspring or they produce more of the substances that we want, whether it be proteins or, or fats or, or, or what have you. And then there are other opportunities to manipulate things so that um, organisms would be resistant to particular diseases. So there's a lot of interest in manipulating, for example, uh, things like uh, malaria mosquitoes so that they would no longer be able to carry the parasite that would potentially eliminate malaria as a communicable disease. So there's, there's discussion around that. There's opportunities to manipulate so that we can avoid uh, some of the nastiest pathogens that we are aware of um, affecting us and affecting livestock and affecting plants. So there's those sorts of discussions, and then you can even probably go further than that and start thinking about how we might... Uh, help accelerate the evolutionary process by editing genes that are associated with, for example, uh, heat tolerance or salinity tolerance or what have you in species of agricultural importance or, or even conservation or wildlife importance. As an insect geneticist, insects are really cool things, but they also carry diseases. And one of the most exciting 
things I've seen this CRISPR technology has been used for is uh, a technology to wipe out whole populations of insects. Mm. So thinking about um, Zika virus and the mosquitoes that carry it, we already have some genetically modified systems which are being used in, in particular places in the world to cause mosquito populations to crash. But um, some studies from, from a group in California showed that actually they could, using the CRISPR system, design it in such a way that um, the piece of DNA in, in the genome of the insect was cut and into that space was copied a guide RNA for that same piece of DNA, which means that every time this organism starts to breed, this copy, which is in the mosquito that you've modified, will be copied into a new mosquito, into the offspring's mosquito's DNA, and so will propagate through the population enormously. So every time this thing breeds, this gene now spreads and in spreading, it also causes the chromosome to fall apart because it gets cut so that these uh, mosquitoes spread when there's two copies of this gene in each of the genomes of these mosquitoes, then they die. So this is a technology that is really quite simple, really easy to use, but has the potential of causing the extinction of, an, of entire populations or even species, which is you know something to be um, uh, used very judiciously, I should think. Yeah, good or, good or bad. I mean, you could think of it as a, you know as getting rid of... Um pathogens and things but yeah um, i mean i guess that that raises a pete's example raises a, a very important point which is that actually the technology of of crispr which is a gene editing tool is now being linked to another tool which is separate but um complementary called gene drives these gene drives uh, effectively push a particular dna sequence generation to generation through a population so that it doesn't uh, segregate at the normal sort of 50 50 um, you end up with that particular sequence being passed on to all uh, offspring. And so if you had a situation where you had a CRISPR mutation that you wanted to introduce into a species and you attach that to a gene drive, then effectively you can create a situation where that particular sequence is passed on effectively to all offspring. In fact, there was a study published in Fruit Flies last year that showed that they could get a phenomenal effect uh, using this approach, which which enabled them to actually make... Uh, a, an individual in a single generation, completely homozygous, that means they'll have two copies of this of this gene drive, and then all its offspring would have this gene drive. Um, so you're getting genetic modifications passed into a into a population almost uh, in its entirety within a generation or two. So that's that's phenomenal in terms of its ability to manipulate the genetics of populations in relatively short terms. And it would be fair to say that this has been explored extensively as an idea for controlling uh, vector-borne diseases uh, that are carried by insects as, as well as other things. But people get very excited about these, these gene drives as tools for doing many other things. This also has implications for the way we think about genetically modified food. So often, you know, when we talk about um, you know, genetically modified food possibly coming into the country, we use genetic tests to determine if there's a transgene in there, if there's a piece of DNA which has been inserted in that genome. Well, modern uh, CRISPR techniques mean that we don't need to insert a gene. You know, the old story of you know, a frog gene stubbed into a tomato kind of thing. Now we have the opportunity of actually picking out a few base pairs in the genome and changing one or two of them, which might cause a gene to be turned on differently or not to be turned on at all. 
or change the function of a gene so that it now does something slightly different. And those changes are effectively undetectable now because we leave no fingerprint in the genome. So there's, a, there's lots of questions about how this technology is going to be detectable, how it's going to revolutionise agriculture in ways that actually we don't understand at this point. I think that's a, a really big problem for a country like New Zealand, which has strong regulation of genetically modified organisms. If we can't detect them, how do we apply that regulation? I was just going to ask you about New Zealand. Is CRISPR available to people in New Zealand to use in any context? In a research sense, CRISPR has been used in New Zealand. I myself have, have used it, though actually I did it in Melbourne because I have friends over there who are already doing it, so I thought I'd go and learn how to do it in Melbourne. I mean, as a technology, it's really thought of little more than the current genetic modification techniques that scientists can use with permission in New Zealand laboratories, so in, in containment. Plenty of people have used CRISPR-like techniques in cell lines and in insects, as in my work, to try and make changes that, that they're interested in. In terms of the release of genetically modified organisms or the use of them in agriculture, that would still come under the, our current legislation, certainly. Um, genetically modified organisms made in this way are really counted as genetic modification. So there was a court case um, about a similar technology, not quite the same. The idea was to modify pine trees so that you wouldn't get wilding pines. I think there were a few base pairs changed using a targeted approach, and it was sought by the court and agreed that that was a form of genetic modification and therefore would have to go through all of the processes that are required for genetic modification in New Zealand. So although it wasn't transferring a piece of DNA from another organism into the pine, it was more specific yep. and targeted, it's still considered in the same light? So these editing approaches are still considered to be GMOs under most legislation that I'm aware of around the world. Yep. And, and it is an ongoing discussion that every legislative body that, that legislates for genetic modification uh, is going to have to address. Globally, that's a big task, and I'm not sure quite what the groundswell is, but as, as Pete points out, there's not an opportunity really to to easily detect where these modifications have, have taken place. In effect, if there are only one base pair change, they're relatively modest, although people that are talking about CRISPR are, are, are pointing out that simultaneously they may be able to edit up to 60 different sites within the genome in one reaction with different uh, guides and targets, but they could do 60 changes at a time is, is roughly, I think, what the record is. That means we can make substantive changes with relatively minimal investment. Do we need to have another big discussion? It's about 16 or 17 years since we had the Royal Commission on Genetic Modification. Is it time to have something on a big scale like that again? I honestly think that it is. One of the problems with the Royal Commission is that it was limited to the technologies that were available at the time. And unfortunately, those technologies have moved, well, fortunately for us, but they've moved ahead a pace. And in some respects, the Royal Commission didn't focus on the sort of big if we can do this, what might the consequences be? More, how do we legislate the things that we already know about? We have the technology whereby we can edit my genome. I can produce a child that has a gene which I have changed. What does that actually mean in terms of indigenous people's values? What does that mean in terms of Western people's values? Do we really want to be messing with the one thing that makes the human species different from every other species? It's, it's germline genetics. Those are questions that, as a geneticist, I sort of kind of have an idea about what I would think in those cases and where I might draw the line and where I might not draw the line. But I think it's not for me to decide. I think it's for the public to really think about, is there something here that we're, a line that we can clearly delineate and say, you know, that's an appropriate thing. Saving an individual from a disease, that's an appropriate thing. But 
you know, making an eye colour different or um, where that line is. I think now with CRISPR are such a range of possibilities that we need to work out where we're prepared to draw the line and how we're prepared to hold that line, which is another problem if we can't mm. detect these modifications and we can't stop people doing it in their backyard. That was Peter Dearden, and before that, Neil Gemmell, who are both at the University of Otago. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.